Hey there, it's Kate Swoboda, also known as Kate Courageous. I'm the creator of YourCourageousLife.com, the director of the Courageous Living Coach Certification at TeamCLCC.com, and I'm the author of the book, The Courage Habit, which is available at booksellers everywhere and of course at Amazon. And as you might have guessed, I'm the host of this podcast, the Your Courageous Life podcast. We're going to talk about going after what you want and living a more courageous, emotionally resilient life. I might drop a couple of F-bombs, so don't listen with your kids in the backseat. And here we go. Hi there, everybody. It's Kate. And today I wanted to talk about habits that reduce anxiety, like actual habitual things that you can implement into your life on a regular basis so that they become habits or things that you can habitually turn to when you feel anxious. So it's either you want to do these things to sort of make yourself anxiety resilient, a little a little less likely to get hit by anxiety, or and or you want to do these things when anxiety comes up so that you can feel better faster. And I wanted to talk about anxiety specifically because often we don't necessarily recognize that anxiety and fear are basically the same thing. And in sharing that these are habits that can reduce anxiety, I want to make sure that everybody knows there is no way to forever endeavor disaster-proof your life, okay? Like, bad things happen to good people, no matter how good you are. Anxiety happens to even confident, courageous people. Fear happens. People get stuck in fear. People get stuck in anxiety. Anxiety, especially when a lot of things are going on that are outside your control or that are very normal, fear-inducing things, like the leader of the free world being crazy or... I don't know, a couple things that might go into that category of life. Um, It's really normal. Like there's not this, this land where you're supposed to be living where you don't feel anxiety. But obviously, anxiety comes up and no one wants it to control their life, limit their life. We want to try to minimize as much of that as possible. So let's get into some of that. So here's what I've learned after more than a decade, many decades really, of being in therapy or coaching, holding coaching sessions for myself and working with hundreds of different individuals, working with thousands of students when I was a college professor, intimate conversations with friends and family, reading hundreds of self-help books, years of meditation and studying Zen Buddhism, and actually sitting at the feet of monks who had been meditating and working with people for years. Um, Let's see, what else goes on that list? Taking courses at the college and graduate level in human psychology, counseling, diagnosis, reviewing what feels like a few gazillion research studies on neuropsychology and habit formation, psychological courage, epigenetics, autoimmunity. Woo-woo for Google Scholar. Here's what I've learned. Anxiety is something of a human condition. Like, it's actually not that there's this large group of people out there who rarely ever worry, and then the rest of us worry about things or fear things or ruminate, and we just need to get our lives balanced so that we can live like those other people. Nope. 
actually most of us worry about things and fear things and ruminate. And there are, yes, some people who just don't tend to let worry or much else bother them, but they are the exception, not the rule. If this feels revelatory and earth-shattering to you, welcome to my world the first time I understood this. Anxiety and fear is something of a human condition. It's the existential dilemma of being alive in a world that is fundamentally beyond our control. And you can call it what you want. You might, your word for anxiety might be self-doubt, nervousness, lack of confidence, worry, guilt, uncertainty, anxiety, thinking too much, overthinking, second-guessing. It all belongs in the same bucket, fear. And yes, there is a such a thing as having anxiety that is so excessive, so deeply impacting someone's life that it is labeled an anxiety disorder because the anxiety is actually causing the person to really, really shut down. And I come from the perspective that if what someone needs in their life is support, getting help from a doctor, a prescription for medication in those places, yes, do it. Get the support that you need to live the best possible life that you can. Today, I'm really talking more about those cases of really kind of ordinary chronic low-grade worry. And, and it, it's about things like world politics, how you look, if you'll ever lose those 10 pounds, why you still care about the stupid 10 pounds, having enough money, being liked, parenting challenges, am I good enough? I'm talking to the people who aren't like shutting down their entire lives in the face of worries. Like you can get out of bed, you can function, but you're definitely kind of exhausted by them. And to you, I say, you're, you're actually normal. Since the dawn of time, people have been <laughs> worried creatures. <laughs> and also I say, our society has some deeply dysfunctional aspects to it that heighten your worry. So, you know, you're really normal. Like, this is a normal response. The anxiety you might feel to seeing people being oppressed and having their rights taken away, that's a good response to have. It means that you have not completely numbed out. So I want to share some habits to reduce anxiety. So your anxiety, it's probably here to stay. That might be the bad news for those of you who have really wanted to totally get rid of it. And there are habits that you can adopt that will reduce some of the anxiety that you feel. So first I'm going to talk a little bit about how habits work so that you can understand that process because it's a pretty cool process. And, you know, we typically think of habits as being things like remember to brush your teeth or have a daily meditation habit, but actually our behavioral responses are habitual and social scientists, the people who study how we all function, um, estimate that about half of our daily behavior is habitual and we don't realize it. Now, habits work on a cue, routine, reward loop. And I've talked about habits in a couple of different episodes, so just, you know, we're going to coast through a little summary here of cue, routine, reward. So we experience a cue, not always consciously. We don't always register consciously that we've hit a cue. We go into a routine in response to that cue, not always consciously, and seeking a reward. And often that's the alleviation of anxiety. So for instance, someone who feels stress, the cue, 
and drinks alcohol, the routine, is seeking the reward to alleviate stress. And of course, in the short term, usually, alcohol works until it doesn't. Arguing with a partner. Maybe you're having an argument with a partner and you're feeling stuck. Chances are good that when he gets a particular kind of pot shot in, that might be a cue that makes you go into your own routine, like fighting back harder or disconnecting. And the reward of that might not immediately be apparent unless you consider that an argument is about a power struggle. And the reward of going into a routine like disconnecting might be feeling more in control. And that could be like an internal dialogue going, well, I won't let them get me upset or I'll give them a silent treatment and see how they feel. And these are probably almost never conscious thoughts. You're not a bad person going into routines. You're you're probably not thinking about this. And one of the things that happens when you don't think about this stuff is it feels like it's all happening on autopilot and it's out of your control, even though, in fact, it is in your control. So consider for yourself how you react when you get the notice that your property taxes went up and your escrow is short, or your kid gets a note home from school, or you see that a family member that you don't get along with is calling you. You see their name pop up on your phone, or you work really hard on something and your arch nemesis coworker, as usual, makes some critical remark in front of everyone at a meeting. Those are all pretty anxiety-producing scenarios, if you ask me. You probably respond to these scenarios in patterned, habitual ways. So really get that, that you probably respond behaviorally, your mindset, a whole pattern that you go into in habitual ways. The question then becomes, on everyone's mind, how can I respond differently? So there are really two places where you can change those habitual responses, the cue or the routine. And most of the time, the routine is the most effective point of change because you have less control over the cue. Like you can't really do much in life to set it up so that you never have a raise in your property taxes or your coworkers are always kind or you can't control your kid's behavior at school 100% of the time so that you never get the note home, right? However, it is absolutely possible to address the habitual responses if you adopt habits that reduce the anxiety right where it can be most heightened. And I think biochemically is a great thing to look at, by the way. So let's dive into this a little bit deeper. There's cue, routine, reward, behavioral habits. A lot of the time we're just responding routines, routines, routines. We don't even realize it. And it's pretty normal. And I want to talk about, in particular, some habits to reduce anxiety that could help on the biochemical level. Biochemical meaning the hormones, you know, when you get stressed, when you feel anxiety, cortisol, a whole bunch of other stuff happens that actually heightens the anxiety. It can become like a chicken egg kind of thing. Um, the other image that I often think of is like a snowball rolling down a mountain where it's like once those stress hormones start going nuts, then it's like a, a snowball rolling down a mountain and it's just accumulating and big, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. 
And certainly I am not a doctor and I am not speaking to what you should be doing with your health. I'm talking about a couple of things that could help on the biochemical level and you're always in choice in checking out what feels right for you. To talk about this, let's go back to this society is dysfunctional comment that I made earlier. There are a lot of things about our society that can feel pretty dysfunctional. Consider for a moment that a hundred years ago, everyone got more exercise, more sleep, and ate more vegetables than they do today. Consider that a hundred years before that, and a hundred years before that, this was also true. Consider that the society we live in right now is the only society we're aware of where a lot of people are this sedentary, this driven to be up at all hours, this overloaded with crap food. Biochemically, at the level of how your brain and your body and your hormones work together, you got to reckon that you're always going to be dealing with more anxiety. If you are not handling three very specific things, getting sleep, getting exercise, eating vegetables. I know that you might be sitting here thinking like, wait, hold on, Kate. There's a little more than this to this, right? And, and I get that. But like, how often do we complicate things? You know? Uh, has anybody seen that meme going around? It's a great one. It's, it's really funny. It says, uh, it's a, a text-based meme. And it says, you, colon, I don't know why I feel so awful. What could I do differently? Body, colon, stop drinking so much caffeine get more sleep, move your body, and, um, you know, like, like actually eat a vegetable. And then you, colon, I just don't know what it is in the body going, oh my God, <laughs> like I just told you what it is. We overcomplicate these things. We, we start feeling anxiety and we start going, well, you know, I really need to look at what's happening in the cosmos and I need to look at what happened with my mom or my dad and I need to like confront this, this, and this. And it's like, what if there are three particular interventions, three places where habitually we are not giving ourselves what we need that we could attend to first and then look and see where we're at? Biochemically, at the level of how your body works if you're not getting enough sleep, exercise, or fresh vegetables of some kind, you are compromised on some level. And compromised means when you don't have the sleep and the rest and the movement and the nourishment that you need, you feel more anxiety. And there is actual research backing this up. I'm not talking, by the way, about striving to fit into a Photoshopped sort of thin ideal. I'm talking about habits to reduce anxiety that add up to basic biochemical self-care. Get sleep, get exercise, get vegetables. And there's a large body of different research studies conducted over decades. You can search for them. It won't take long. That not getting enough sleep, exercise, or healthy foods are all correlated with heightened rates of anxiety, depression, malaise, disease, whatever you want to call it. So point blank, if you feel heightened anxiety, yet you neglect the sleep, exercise, vegetables trifecta, you're probably going to keep feeling that heightened anxiety. And the research indicates, too, that it gets worse. It becomes a compound problem where the effects of neglecting those three things just keep building up over time. 
there's a lot that you can't control in this world and feeling anxiety when you can't control something is normal. But if you adopt habits to reduce anxiety, then you won't be as impacted when stress hits. Now, here's what comes up for a lot of people. But I can't. I can't do that. First, yes, you can. <laughs> You've got to be ruthlessly committed to this idea. 99% of the people who are listening to this right now have access to the tools to create enough sleep exercise and to get a couple vegetables in there and they simply aren't using them and there's a really important point of entry for if that is you if you tell yourself you can't even though you can for really going okay well what what do I need to do from a place of integrity here what do I need to do from a place of aligning what I want for my life with how I actually act in my life. That's who I'm speaking to right now. And I get that there are people who don't have access to those resources. And it's important that we do what we can to help get people the access to those resources. And in case you're curious, yes, a portion of my time and money goes towards causes to help people who don't have access to those resources. I do believe that we need to establish that level of equality and parity across society. But I'm talking to the people you have access to. If you made some changes, some decisions about how you want to do life to getting more sleep, getting a little bit of movement, and getting a, like one vegetable a day. The average person with chronic low-grade anxiety needs to get their bases covered in that area. Sleep, exercise, vegetables are those bases. So sleep. If you have insomnia... Um, see a doctor if you have access to health care, certainly. And I got to tell you, um, it really surprised me. I dealt with insomnia for quite some time. I talked to my doctor, and instead of giving me a pill, she actually gave me, she was like, you need sleep hygiene education. Sleep hygiene is the name they called it. It was kind of funny. And there were several behavioral interventions that I hadn't thought of. Um, some of them are going to be ones you already know about. Put down your phone. You should not have your phone next to your bed. No, it's <laughs> not living your best life with your phone next to your bed, looking at it until you fall asleep. You know, put down the iPad, all the blue light stuff, get off the computer. You know, don't hit go on another thing in Netflix. Really look at like, what are the habits, the cues that have me go into the routine of insomnia? What are the choices you can make that are different? Exercise or moving your body. So forget exercise to lose weight. That's not what I'm talking about here. Instead, how can you move your body and dissipate anxiety? You don't need to run marathons. You don't need to become a triathlete. There's actually a book called The First 20 Minutes that's all about the research about how you actually only need to do about 20 minutes of exercise to get like 80% of the benefits that exercise provides. And if you exercise beyond 20 minutes, you're only getting that remaining like 20% of the benefits that exercise can provide. So set a timer on your phone, on your kitchen stove that will remind you to move. This is about exercise being one of the biggest cofactors that helps depression and anxiety. Walk around the block for 20 minutes. You don't have to join a gym. You don't have to have money for a trainer. 
And if you do have money for these things, I would say too, grab a Fitbit, something that'll buzz at you, reminding you to get moving. And vegetables. Can you do a salad a day? Can you do, you know, a dollar's worth of broccoli at the store? Forget trying to overhaul your eating or trying to adopt a perfect diet. Start with, can you do one salad a day and see where you go from there? Can you get one serving of vegetables a day and go from there? Frozen vegetables count. If you get frozen corn, if you get frozen edamame and you pull it out, you steam it, that's your vegetable. Great. That counts. If you have the ability to make better choices about sleep, exercise, and vegetables, but you don't make those choices, you can expect continued anxiety or worsening anxiety. I know that these solutions sound overly simple. And much of the time at you know Your Courageous Life, I'm talking about all these things that you can do to live with more courage from a psychological perspective. Or I'm talking about how you can improve your relationships with others. Sometimes I'm talking about how you can step into being a leader in your life so you can confront some of the, help to confront some of the issues that are systemic that need confronting. So it might seem odd that I'd want to talk about basic wellness, but I really believe in courageous wellness. I believe in a biopsychosocial model of health. Bio is body, psychopsychology, social, your relationships, and the society you live in. Biopsychosocial. So if you want to reduce anxiety and feel more courageous alongside that, you can't ignore the biological side of things. You've got to create better habits to nourish your biochemical, biological health. Right now, as you, as you listen to this, biochemical processes in your body are impacting everything from how much you're taking in, how you process it, how you comprehend it, what you're retaining, your emotional response to what you're hearing here. That's all happening right here, right now. So adopting habits to reduce anxiety that impact your biological health is critical. When I talk about, when I talk with people, about creating and cultivating courageous habits, the first thing I talk about is the step to access the body because fear isn't logical, it's primal. We feel it in the body, so we need to deal with it in the body. If you want to start shifting something so that you're not feeling that low-grade chronic anxiety, I'm not saying that these three are everything, but I am saying you got to cover the basics of your biological health. Some leveling of anxiety, it's simply the human condition. We have complex, complicated, nuanced lives. And we can make choices that help to reduce anxiety. So take a moment now to think, what is something that you would like to shift in this area? Try picking just one. Do you need to get more sleep? Could you build in that 20 minute walk once a day? Is there a little more vegetable uptake that you could integrate into your life? Even if it starts with, you know, adding a little spinach to something in like a green smoothie, you know, there are lots of different options. What is the option that feels most right for you? Take a moment to think about that and then decide that for the next seven days, you're going to pick a cue that can lead into that routine. So if your cue is, 
um, or sorry, if your routine is, I want to get that 20 minute walk in, what's the cue that will precede it? Is it, I always do my 20 minute walk after my lunch break? Is it, I always do my 20 minute walk after I wake up? Is it, I always do my 20 minute walk um, with my kids after picking them up from school? We do it all together. With getting a vegetable in, um, one of the cues that you could set for yourself would be to spend a little more time in the vegetable aisle next time you are at the grocery store or put the vegetables front and center. Get the vegetables that don't spoil as easily because you might not adopt your new habit of getting a vegetable into your body right away. So get some, you know, get a frozen vegetable, steam some frozen broccoli. Um, with getting more sleep, what are the cues that are going to precede that? Maybe it's going to be setting um, a reminder on your phone so that you can um, start getting ready for bed a little bit earlier. Maybe it's that you need to um, pull the Netflix app off of your you know, computer <laughs> or your TV so that you aren't logging in and you can't get sucked into binge watching a show right before bed. Try looking at the routine that you want to create and then looking at what's the cue that precedes it that could set me up for the greatest success with establishing a new routine. I would love to hear how it goes. You're always welcome to say hello over at facebook.com forward slash your courageous life. I hang out on Instagram a lot where I am Kate Courageous and occasionally post stories and live videos that are directly applicable to add little bonusy things related to the podcast that are on my mind. So I hope to see you over there. And of course, you can sign up for an entire library of courageous resources over at yourcourageouslife.com forward slash begin. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope that even though these are really simple things to look at, you look at them as um, the, the habits that will get you more for your money, so to speak. They'll get you farther than trying to get down to the minuscule nuances of all the different possible things that could contribute to anxiety and instead going, how can I just handle these three and see if that gets me like 80% of the way to where I'm trying to go and what I want to feel and what I want to embody. Thanks so much for listening.